Panic alert. Panic alert. Welcome into the Redbird Report. My name is Tom Preisman, alongside the Vedette Sports Editor, Mike Mara. And Mike, we're hitting the panic button. It's officially time. Panic alert. Panic alert. We're hitting the panic button. I, it, it's so far pushed down, I don't know if we're going. It, it doesn't, you know how usually you push the button down and it returns back up? It's not returning back up. We're plushing the plunger as far down as we're going. We're keeping our hand on the panic button. It's We're coming to you from time. the campus of Illinois State University, and it's a cold day for the students here, and it's also a cold day for the football team. I don't mean the temperature. This is after a year in last season, 6-5, and five, and I think we all thought it was a low point. We thought this would be a return to form in 2017, and yesterday, Mike, I, I predicted a, a, a Southern Illinois win. I didn't even see that you coming. You did. Yeah, you did. I, I you, predicted you were a, the lone person to pick them. I picked 24-21 Southern to beat Illinois State, and I'm not even sure I could have foreseen that coming yesterday. Uh, I thought it would be a competitive game. I thought Southern had an opportunity to win, and I just thought what we saw last year, I was worried about that slide continuing, but I did not see 42-7 Southern and a game that Illinois State was dominating in every phase, and I'm tired of hearing about the defense. I know we're going to talk so much about the offense, but – I want to start on the defensive side. This is the second week in a row. I know you're going to talk about the offense and say that they didn't help out the defense, but oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. I mean, 42 points against a Southern team that is, frankly, flat out not very good, it's, it's, it's a problem. I know we, talk, we talked about Southern, and I do think they have some positive attributes. You know, they played Memphis very well, but that's a team that ISU has to beat, period. Yeah, and honestly, I'm out on, I, I shouldn't say I'm out on this defense, but I'm finally starting to see, you know what? When you schedule the cupcakes at the beginning of the season that you do, Butler, you have Indiana State, your first Missouri Valley Conference game. Part of it wasn't their fault. Part, I mean, Eastern's usually pretty Eastern, good. You're right. Eastern's usually pretty good, and they got the, the Valley schedule started out with them playing Missouri State and, and Indiana State. That's not their fault. But, obviously, the schedule played in their hands early. Correct. And I think a lot of people with that small sample size, and I get you could say, well, 4 no, four games, that's not a small sample size. It's a small sample size when you look at who they're playing because when you look at the quality of those first four opponents not really not that good i mean you probably say of those four of those four teams who do you think was who do you think was the best i, I indiana state probably I, I was gonna say indiana state and they're winless right and i mean you've seen what happened yesterday i mean this is back-to-back weeks now that supposedly you know when you think of the missouri the the valley football conference and you think of who the top Three, four are you usually go North Dakota State, South Dakota State, and you maybe throw Illinois State in there just for a measuring stick. Last week, Indiana or Indiana State lost to North Dakota State, fifty-two to nothing. Yesterday, Indiana State lost fifty-six to six to South Dakota, and South Dakota is now in. Who is coming to Hancock Stadium? Anyway, let, here come the Kyle. Where, where, where's where's the countdown clock? We need like a red countdown clock. Because I think it could be a massacre at Hancock Stadium on, ham- on homecoming. It's I, it, you'll you guys will read it tomorrow, but I'm just going to say in in the column I wrote, I just said happy homecoming question mark question mark not really because uh, you're, you're I ha- think the coyotes are about to feast on some birds. Yeah, I, it's it's not going to be good. And this defense, if you think they've been test, you thought that Northern Arizona was a test offensively. Watch out, because South Dakota isn't going to bring an NFL prospect of quarterback, but they're going to bring a much more experienced and just a, a fit more physical a better team. I mean, it's South a better Dakota's team. Better period. Team. Yeah. But and let's before we get too far ahead of ourselves, let's reflect on yesterday's game. I'll be honest. I uh, I didn't turn it on until the second quarter. I had stuff going on. I was like, all right, I'll watch second to the end of the game. Turn on second quarter, and I was not paying attention to the score at all. I purposely said, I'm going to go in blind second quarter. Turning on twenty-one nothing, my goodness! I mean, you didn't. I thought if it was any twenty-one nothing, would have been Illinois State. Twenty-one nothing Southern was something I was not seeing. As I said, I thought Southern had a good opportunity to win this game um, if, if things went wrong for Illinois State. And even though I picked Southern, I have to say there was a part of me that was shocked to see twenty-one nothing on that screen. Uh, Mike, you you watch from play number one. Take us through what you saw in the first quarter, and then just kind of everything else that went on in the game. Well, first off, they were outmatched. I mean, not talent-wise. ISU, well, I guess maybe that's where we head next is are they really as talented as we once thought they were? But that's a different discussion right now. They were outmatched, outcoached from the very beginning, I mean, from the get-go. They looked, they looked dead. 
it almost looked as if they thought that okay, you know what, this is gonna, this is what's gonna happen today. It was almost like they came out of the locker room. You know, obviously I was not there for the pre so pregame, so I don't know if Southern has some sort of big pregame ceremony that they do where Illinois State was like, oh wow, they look like they're ready to come out and play, where they just kind of like put their tail between their legs, but they didn't look like they were ready to play at all. I mean, it just lackadaisical I don't even think is the word because it just they didn't look it almost didn't look like they wanted to be there until you know what the one thing and it's later in the game the only time it looked like they maybe wanted to potentially be on a football field on Saturday afternoon was that the scoring the lone scoring drive that they had when it was kind of like okay you know what hey we're getting beat 35 to nothing right now we need to score I take I take that back it was 28 to 7 uh, when they scored it was 28 nothing when they scored made it 28-7 so it was kind of like okay we're losing by four touchdowns we better like get kick into high gear but there, they, it's, uh, there were some signs of life in the offense in the second half there was a couple drives um and they got the huge run by ortiz henderson that got him down to the five but i i said to my girlfriend who was watching the game with i said they're not gonna score now i i just i just felt in my gut that they were not gonna score on that drive period and they get down to the five it's 28 nothing but it's pretty early in the third quarter, and there's still time to turn the game around. If you score then, they go on to score on the next drive. All of a sudden, you're looking at possibly 28-14, and you know, at that point, at least it's a two-score game. And We saw what happened um, the, week bo- the week before, no, two weeks before at home against Indiana State. Once you get it to two scores, it suddenly becomes a lot more viable to make a comeback. And they don't score on that drive. And that, to me, was the end. I think I texted you. I, said, I think I said game, set, match, if, did, I, yeah, if I remember the text. Um, and... That was just, I mean, I, I think it comes down to play calling at some point. You know, we talk about Jay Colby, and I'm sure we're going to talk a lot more about Mr. Colby on this on this podcast. And let's be honest, though. I think they have two play callers right now, two offensive coordinators leading this group. And I think someone some, some change has to be made, in my opinion, because right now, you look at Billy Dickin and Dan Clark, the two offensive coordinators. I don't like calling for people's heads because I know people have livelihoods, people have jobs, and I'm, I don't know... If it requires someone else in the coaching staff, or they they do have to go, but someone else has to be leading this offense. One of those two men has to either step up, one has to step aside. I don't know what the situation, or they bring someone else from the, in the outside. But right now, the, the co-offensive coordinators are not working, and in my opinion, co-offensive coordinators are always hard not to make thing. work. And I think something's got to change on that offensive side of the coaching staff. Well, and when you look at the offense, the most concerning, obviously, it's concerning that they can't stay there all year long. They have, we've said this from the beginning. The offense has never put together a four quarter game, even against. No, even when they were scoring forty points a contest, it, we saw the holes in the fact that it was more against inferior defenses correct. than it was the the high level offensive execution. Correct. And so you look at how concerning that is, and now when you're starting to see you're playing better opponents. They cannot score when they get in the red zone. Their red zone efficiency is terrible. They have not scored in the red zone the last two weeks. Well, I take that back. They scored the 19-yarder here. And, I mean, they haven't scored a touchdown. Let me put it that way. Uh, Their red zone efficiency is just bad. And Spencer Snell mentioned it yesterday, you know, after the game, is they get inside the 20-yard line, and then it's kind of like the offense just stalls and can't get anything going. And... Obviously, if you if you don't have a high red zone efficiency, you're not putting you're not you're just not you're not going to win games. You're not going to win games. You know who I wonder about is Kurt Beathard, the former offensive coordinator, stepped down in 2016 to spend more time with his family. As far as I know, he doesn't have another job right now. And if I'm Brock's back, maybe I'm thinking about making a phone call down to uh, I think he lives in Nashville and seeing. Hey, any interest in maybe coming back at least for the rest of the season as an in, in an interim role or just something to maybe try to jumpstart this offense? No, if I'm him, I I don't even know if I'm picking up that phone call because you know he's probably following the team. I'm not even picking up that phone call. If you're if, you, if you're former offensive coordinator, correct? If not if you're Brock's back. You make that phone call if you're Brock's if back. If I'm Brock's back, I make that call. If I, if 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 I'm receiving that call, I hit decline because you see the you see the the Bloomington area code and you just hit decline. <laughs> decline. And and look, I know that Spack has special connection, especially to Billy Dickin, a former Purdue quarterback. He's a guy that Spack brought in, and I know he coached him. Obviously, Spack was the defensive coordinator. Dickin was a quarterback at Purdue, but he's got a special connection to him. And I, I know that it must not be easy to think about making these types of moves, but I think something's got to change. And if if Spack wants it not to be him, and I think Spack has a lot of job he's security safe. here at ISU. Safe. 
Uh, but if he wants the pressure not to mount on him, and I, as I said, I don't think he's in any danger of losing his job now, but I could see if this trend continues the rest of the season, and we talked about will the Redbirds even win another game this season, that's a question we'll get to in a little bit. One way to take pressure off yourself and try to say, look, we're trying to do something different, we're trying to make changes, is making changes in your coordinators. And then I think, even though we talked about the defense struggling, I don't think the defense is necessarily the problem right now. The defense has problems, but I think the offense is where it starts and where the problems really originate. Yeah, but all I don't know what you do with the offensive coordinator situation. I And you can't. I know you like you said you don't want to call for anybody's head, but if if you do say you can both of them, you know, and you never want to see change in the middle of the year, but I mean, if, if drastic times call for drastic measures, if this is what you see fit, if you can't, I don't see it working the rest of the rest of the season because it hasn't worked to this point, even against lesser opponents. And now you got the big dogs coming in for the rest of the way. You do not have an easy game. I mean, no division one football game is necessarily easy but now you're coming in and you're playing nothing but top 25 and top 10 opponents from here on out and the thing is it's a it's a weird situation because how many times and i know we've talked about this not doing the podcast um is it's it's weird to see a head coach really not do anything on the offensive side i mean during timeouts brock goes away from the sideline, you know, the offense will have uh, you their know, I, I, And I've always defended Brock on this point. I know that you've always felt that way, and I felt like Brock knows what his role is. Brock knows that he's a defensive guy, and he lets he gives a lot of autonomy to his offensive coordinators. I think now we're seeing that when you don't maybe have the right people in charge of the offense, and coupled with maybe an offensive uh, a quarterback, an offense led by a quarterback that maybe is not right for this level of football. I don't know if Jay Colby is the guy to lead this offense, and I think we've had those questions. Um, but, you know, you maybe you look at someone like Maladie Brodnick, and I'm sure we'll talk more about him, but what we I think we should talk about Colby now. And I know we, we can get back to SPAC and get back to the offense coordinators, but I would say I think both of us think there's a, there's a room for change, and I wouldn't be surprised if at least we see play calling duties switch around on the, on the offensive side or if we see how they operate right now become – a way of the past, and they innovate or change in some way in these upcoming weeks. The thing that I was actually disappointed in watching this game yesterday was last week Brock's back said that there was going to be a two-quarterback system and that it was going to be instituted as soon as yesterday afternoon. Didn't happen. I don't really count that. I don't. I don't count that as using a two quarterback system. Malachi Broadnax coming in for three snaps. It was a three and out. I mean, it was a really quick possession. I will say they did put him in the first half this time, and, and I will give them that on, on in terms of trying to be different. They. I mean, I think he should have gotten way more snaps in the second half, and I'm sure we'll get to that. But they did give him a drive in the first half, and it did go nowhere in their defense. So the thing that I'm starting to wonder is inside that Kaufman building. Are you wait? What are you waiting for as far as the quarterback situation goes? Are you waiting for Jake Colby to develop? Because if you think that he's still developing, develop. He's a second that's, year that's starter. That's what I'm saying. That's this is where I'm going with it. If you're waiting for him to develop, he's a junior. If you can't, if you're not developed yet and he's not ready, then he's not your quarterback. Then he's not the guy. Then you go over, you give it to Malachi Broadnax, who, and I know it's it's very premature, but he's a guy that draws comparisons to Trey Roberson and that's from I mean other people have have said that and I've heard that tossed around obviously he's got a lot of room to he's got a lot of, those are big shoes to that, fill that's I would not compare him at this point to Trey Roberson I think I, I think even he's, I've I done that in the I past think, I think but he's drawing I think, I think you could see similarities and if you let him let him grow at least let him let him go out there because right now I don't this is and from you're talking about a small sample size we have a small sample size of, size of Malachi Broadnax but this is what I'm going to say from the little we've seen out of him and all we've seen of Jay Colby he, I don't think Jay Colby is is head and shoulders above giving you a better opportunity to win let, let, let's let's break down Colby's performance before we get to Broad Nicks and some other options they have a quarterback I know we have some other ideas I do at least um what did you make of Jake Colby's performance yesterday? I have the numbers in front of me. 20 of 45, 232 yards, a touchdown, and three interceptions, also sacked three times. Also lost a fumble, which technically isn't his fault. That was you know, a, a, a pass behind the line to James Robinson, but it still wasn't an accurate pass. I mean, that goes either way. But I think to get back to your question, looking at watching that game, there's one interception that stands out 
to me, and it's that one in the first in the first half. Did you see? Did you see that pass? That's a decision you cannot make. That was a floating duck, and I don't think he never gave his own receiver a chance to even come down with that ball. It was underthrown. I don't. I just don't understand. And that's the second week in a row now he throws that 50-50 ball towards the end zone, and it comes down on the hands of the defender. And that's not the first two times we've seen him do that. And then it's just it boils down to seeing how frustrating it gets when the offensive is. How many times a game does he get a get a ball pat uh, knocked down at the line of scrimmage? And I, that's not a lot of it is he, he telegraphs his passes. He he will look down his receiver and he will stare that one down that he's going to throw to, and it doesn't really matter if he's he could be triple covered. How many times have we seen Jay Colby take a shot with three four defenders around? It for Jay Colby it doesn't matter. But so we're I think the concern with Colby is we just haven't seen the strides that we expected to see in year number two of his starting quarterback role. And I think you look back to the Indiana State game was a perfect example of the Jake Colby experience. A tremendous first half, I would argue, maybe outside of that Iowa game, you're going way back. That was his first ever you know, real step-up opportunity. Outside of maybe that Iowa game, that was the best half of football Jake Colby has played as a Redbird. And, you know, you I, can, you're not stretching that. That, that. I had a conversation with one of my buddies back home, and that is the exact thing. He sent me a text, and you know, we're not going to get into the – details of it but all he said was do you remember two years ago when we sat and watched that Iowa game and we thought this kid's for real we're not going to miss a beat once Trey leaves because we got a real pocket passer and so I, I don't mean to cut you off but it's just funny because that's the same comparisons that if we're we can't be the only ones talking about it because that's outside of that you're like you said Indiana State's got to be his best performance and it's just a half and it was he's never put a half. full game together and then the, but the second half was the other side of the Jay Colby experience the turnovers the poor decision making and I think the thing that has frustrated us a little bit in the media side of things and I think both of us work in the media, but also both of us, you know, we, we'd like to see the Redbirds be successful. I think we both, as ISU students, obviously it's better for our coverage and it's better for the paper. People will read more papers if ISU football is doing well. Correct, because it's, it's one of the top sports on campus. People and that's people expect so many – there's such high expectations for this Redbird football team, especially since they go down to that national championship. People expect them to win, and I mean – so. Getting back to to Colby, um, I, I think what has been concerning to me and what's frustrated us is the coaching staff has been very protective of Colby. They've not gone out and criticized him. Obviously, I think they're doing that in the building, but I'm a little surprised that we have yet to see Spack really come out and say, you know, criticize Jay Colby in any way. Now, maybe he doesn't feel like that's his strategy, and, and Spack's not always the guy that does that in the media, but... To not try to reassure the fans at all on any level is surprising. And I know that that's not necessarily the most important thing, that winning games and making sure Colby's confidence stays high is the most important thing. But I, I they, they, you know, you can go back to the, the INT against Indiana State. That was, in my opinion, just a terrible decision and a terrible throw. And SPAC kind of wrote it off as there was a miscommunication with the wide receiver. And... You know, that to me was just like we're letting Jake Colby off the hook when, sure, maybe a receiver brought the defender there, but the defender was still there. The defender was <laughs> in right. the spot. doesn't matter if he shouldn't have been or should have been. The defender was standing in front of the Redbird <laughs> offensive player, no, and he right. threw the ball. And, and, and so the- I just think we need... I think hold them accountable. I, I think I think Redbird fans will just want to see this coaching staff hold Jake Colby accountable. And I think also... One guy we have to talk about now, because I think we've ta- said plenty of words about Jake Colby, and I'm continu- as we said, think of the first podcast, we're going to talk plenty about Jake Colby. Um, what about Tristan Smith? If I'm Tristan Smith right now... I'm I know, frustrated. I, I know they're redshirting me. Uh, I know that they want to redshirt me, and they think that I, th- I do think, from what we've heard, that they want to make him the quarterback of the future, and obviously saving a year of his eligibility would be huge. However, having said that, at what point does the redshirt year become more important than trying to help out this season? I think it's a question. You said it to me off the air, Mike. I think if this team, if Brock's back and this coaching staff really thought this season was savable in terms of getting back to where their lofty goals were, ranked in the top 25, that's gone. I mean, we'll wait for the polls tomorrow. But They'll probably sit around 23, and then South Dakota will come in here and beat them. You think, I don't think they'll be ranked tomorrow. I bet you they sit. I bet you they're out of the stats poll, and I bet you they 
Ah man, I, I, I if they're not twenty, if they're not twenty four, twenty five, then I think they're out. But I think I think they're in there for another week. I don't. I think they're out. I think they're way out. Am I? I mean, forty two seven. It's not. A I think that, I think this is the last. This people do have a lot of respect. A lot of coaches. I think also this have is, respect for Brock's back. I think this is the. I think this is the last week you see them in the polls because South. We'll get into South when they after this week. After this week, there's just it's not going to be competitive anymore, and they're going to be out of the top 25 until potentially next year. Or but when, but. The, their goals were top 25. Whether you think they're going to be in the edge of the polls this week or like I do, I think they'll be way out. And we're to get back to the playoffs. If you truly believe that you have a team and a defense that is capable of getting you there, if you if you truly believe that, why not put Tristan Smith? I know we talked a lot about Malachi Brodnick. Personally, the more I've seen of him, the more I think. He could be a really nice complimentary piece and probably a quarterback of the future. I don't think he's ready right now to lead this team. Having said that, Tristan Smith, I you know we haven't seen anything from him this year, so it's hard to know. No, and the coaching staff keeps talking about him. I mean, that's I think from again from a media standpoint, that's pretty frustrating because it's like okay, you're talking about this guy like he is your quarterback of the future. Then let's see. The him. future's now. It seems right. like I don't think. I mean, here's the question: Do we think Jake Colby's the starter next? Mind, never mind next week. Do we think Jake Colby's the starter next year? And no. I, I don't. I don't know. If Tristan, it feels like if Tristan Smith is talented enough to be the quarterback of the future, why not? I know you have to give the redshirt year. I know you're going to lose him a year sooner. But there's a lot of quarterbacks in that quarterback room, and I think you can give them credit. They've done a pretty good job recording re- recruiting the quarterback position. Um, I know they just recruited another kid last year uh, who was originally I think committed to Ball State. And, he was, yeah. And so there, there's a lot of talent in that quarterback room right now. And I know I think he's redshirting. There's a couple other guys mm-hmm. who are redshirting as well. And I forgive me for not remembering all their names, but that right now the the season this season is more important than trying to save Tristan Smith as the quarterback of the future. And if you think he can lead this team even to a six and five record, why not put him in as the quarterback? Well, six and five got you in the playoffs last year. So I mean that would put you know if you if you think Tristan would put you in the conversation. Correct. Um, because but, I think both of us feel like right now Jake Colby cannot get the Redbirds to six and five. That I, would be two wins in their final now five games. Just before we get into the final five games, I'm going to get into Tristan Smith. I think I, I want I would love to just see this kid play because they're like I said we, we they talk about him so we don't even know right now I kind of feel like we're blindly talking about a kid to lead this team. We saw him really only once last this, year was is the Indiana State game. Correct. And, and I mean, I'll be honest, I was not overly, I mean obviously no. that was a difficult circumstance for him, but I was not overly. Impressed. I saw him at the spring game, I saw him at the fall red white game. It's nothing overwhelming. Also it it's a scrimmage. It's a glorified scrimmage. It's a glorified practice. So you can't really. I think both of us would agree. I don't think either of us believe Tristan Smith is incredible. But at the same time, I think Colby has struggled enough where it's more important to try to see what we can see from Tristan Smith this year. Identify more importantly if he is the quarterback of the future this year and see if he can compete for the starting quarterback job next season. Than to continue to redshirt him. And I think it's right now the Redbirds are in a spot where you let all three quarterbacks play and you let all three quarterbacks get some time out there. And it's probably Smith and Colby mostly, and then maybe a little bit of Malachi Brodnicks. But I think all three need to see the light of the field because right now it's unclear who can lead this offense. It's it, it, They're in a rare situation right now because you have three quarterbacks who I think we can agree upon are all capable of being the starting quarterback. Obviously, you can argue which where you rank them as far as who's ready right now. But they're in a rare spot because you can have the quarterback battle for the future play out during the season. Because I'm not going to lie, I don't think this season's savable. And it's really the way the schedule plays out because when you look – at who they have coming up, starting with homecoming on Saturday, South Dakota. I mean, this is, a, again, I, I last year that was a loss that snuck up on them. They went to South Dakota, and you thought, okay, you know what, they can go in there, they're struggling, but we can beat South Dakota. Doesn't happen. South Dakota is a brand new program, and I'm telling you, it's, Bob Nielsen has done wonders. He did it at Western Illinois, and now he's doing it at South Dakota, and they're they're a championship contender. I mean, you see what they're doing. So they're coming in, then you go to Youngstown, then you host Western, who's your best opportunity for a win from here on out, because then you go to South Dakota State and you host North Dakota State. So guess what? Sorry to tell you, but it, it, the season, I don't believe, is savable unless you make some severe changes and something clicks. The light bulb has to go on at Kaufman, in the Coffin Co- football building. Co- coaches love talking about 
the idea of competition and competition breeds success, especially amongst their own team. This is a perfect opportunity to test that theory in live time. Competition between Jake Colby. If I if SPAC came out tomorrow, or rather came out Tuesday, we're recording this on a Sunday afternoon here at the Vedette Studios, Tom Price and Mike Mara. Um, if they came out, if he came out on Tuesday and said, we don't have a starting quarterback, we're having an open quarterback battle from here on out. Jake will get the first shot on Saturday, but if things don't go well, expect to see Tristan and expect to see Malachi. I think a lot of Redbird fans would be excited. I think at least you'd have, yes, in some ways it would almost be worse because you're admitting that the, the, you don't have a quarterback and things are in disarray, but it would be a step forward in another sense because you'd be admitting you don't have a quarterback, and right now they don't want to admit that they don't have a quarterback, and that and it's, it's the old... Um, Emperor's pants idea. The, the, he, he has this great pair of pants that are invisible. Right now, the Redbirds are trying to convince everyone they have a starting quarterback, and they do not. And But they're not fooling anybody, especially going through Twitter yesterday. After the Redbird game, there were people that were like, is Jake the guy? Is, is, is Jake the guy? And that's something... I think it's a fair question after you put up seven points against Southern. And that's, I mean, and that's just it. Is this is this is not the valley's best? This is a team that we said are the lower tier of the valley. Just you know, four days, five days prior. That's, I mean, that's on a 7 loss. If you're Illinois State, if you're like, if you're really in the top tier of the valley, and you know, as prestige as you've been of late, a forty-two to seven loss to anybody in the valley is unacceptable. To go to Southern Illinois and let so, a, a scrappy, mediocre Southern Illinois team that, do it is even more finish around five hundred exactly, and that and, and and that is even more unacceptable. Which also brings the other question. Is this really, and I know my answer, and I think I know yours, and I think I know a lot of Redbird Nations. Is this team seriously as highly regarded? Are they the nationally ranked Redbirds, or are they just a, an average 500 football team? I, I think we always I that got we, overranked, and I, I and we've all along we've said wait till you get tested. And this and, and it's funny. This was the this was the game that I had always said would be their first test, not Northern Arizona. Well, they failed Northern Arizona. They failed failed the test at Northern Arizona. I don't even think they showed up for the test at Southern Illinois, which results in a zero. That I just, it's 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 just funny to me because they couldn't find the classroom. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's laughable. I mean that that's the one way to put that game. It was embarrassing. We have a lot of respect for people in that in that Kaufman football Correct. building, and I and I think Brock's back is a tremendous head coach, and I think because of that. Because of the fact that this is a very good program and that Brock Smack is a very good head coach and people around the country know both of those things, we looked at the first four wins through a different lens than we would have if they were unranked. If the Redbirds were unranked in those first four games, I think we're talking about a different team. I think we're saying they, we would have so we would have seen their flaws in a more dramatic light than we saw. Them. Correct. We, than we, we, we chose to ignore a lot of their flaws early on because we said, well, they're ranked. Well, the thing about preseason rankings, this has shown, been shown at the FBS level, shown at the FCS levels, that there isn't that much difference usually between an 8-4 and four Auburn team and an 8-4 and four team in the ACC. The difference is Auburn starts the year ranked in the top 10 and they finish ranked 18th, and some team in the ACC, you know, North Carolina State starts the year unranked, finishes the year unranked. But when those two teams play, they're usually pretty similar. It's just the fact that we think Auburn's better because they have a more tr- prestigious program. They play in the SEC, and they started the year ranked. That is it. The preseason rankings do so much to our mindset about w- what teams we think are good and what teams we think are bad. And people thought ISU was good because a bunch of coaches who had not seen ISU play this season. But them have respect. Because like, yes. like you said, Brock Specht is highly respected around not just FCS football, but FBS football. And that's – he's highly respected in Illinois State. You look at you know the past couple seasons, sure, throw him, throw, throw him a bone. Give him, give him 18. I don't – it's and not, then they start winning, and people people aren't watching the ISU games. The coaches poll. The thing that's interesting is the stats poll has more reporters and more people that pay attention to the week-to-week football, and they always had ISU ranked a little bit lower than the coaches poll, which is usually done by the SIDs for the coaches. Um, you know, coaches usually don't have time to watch the games. And a lot of times these SIDs are simply just looking at the scores, and they're seeing, oh, ISU beat Butler 42-0. Oh, they beat, them, they beat Eastern 44-13. They must be good. And they're not watching the games as we are. And I think that was one of the things that hurt the Redbirds, that their own 
egos were built up in some way because they. I think this team believed they were a top 10 team in the country, and they have shown the last two weeks they have not been a top 10 team in the country. No, and that's what Coach Pack... I'm not coach, sure they're a top 30 team in the country. Uh, I... I think top thirty is even pushing it. Tom, look at look, just look at it. Just it's, I, it's it's. I'm trying to find the words to say because finally the day has come that we've. I mean, I think this is the day we've kind of been waiting for to kind of come out and be like, you know what, we had these thoughts and they finally come to fruition because we can finally sit here and say, you know what, we thought they might have been overranked, you know, overrated. And here we are. Here we we've are. been kind of you know this is we know this is a podcast for Redbird fans, and I think. Both of us would admit you're in a unique position as student reporters and the fact that we are members of the student body. And I think we would both say somewhat openly we're Redbird fans. I think we try to report critically. We try to report honestly on them. But we're we're Redbird fans. We're a little bit different than what you would see at the Panagraph, what you'd see at WJBC and all the other fine media outlets in Bloomington Normal because we have a unique role. We I. I go to classes with Redbird football players. I lived with a Redbird football player last year. I know this program pretty well, and I'm sure you have your own. Mike has your own connections as well. We know these players. We know these coaches. We're around them a lot just by being students here at ISU. But I think the whole time, Mike, you and I both felt the same way. This ISU team was a, was a was a mediocre team that was masquerading as a top ten, top fifteen team. And I think we might have bought in somewhere along the way. Maybe you talk about the Missouri State game that we were starting to maybe become believers in this team. Eh. And they, they've proven us ever since that Missouri State game. That second half was great against Missouri State. That was the, that second at halftime. That was at halftime that when it was tied going. Yes, to the half, but you could write that off. I thought I th- I personally was like, okay, this is where this is where we actually see who ISU is. And then they come out and have the stellar second half. It's like, okay, it's got to wait. Now we wait another week. And then they had the great first half against Indiana State, and, <laughs> and then like, got to wait again. And then yeah, but, you could you could write you could write off the second half performance with look at what they did in the first. But half. But like you said, when we did our last podcast, the writing was on the wall at that point. Indiana State, you could kind of be like, okay, you know what, you, you kind of see where this is heading. But you and then, see you see this you see the skills of Jake Colby, you saw right. the skills of the offense, and then you go to Northern Arizona, I mean, you and look then at, you look at what they've done recently. Markel Smith yesterday had three carries for negative two yards, I, and I don't understand why they've gotten away from the running game. I know you're down forty-two-seven. James Robinson yesterday had eighty-two yards rushing. I mean, and only on thirteen carries, average six yards a carry. I mean, he there. There was a point where he looked really like he was getting into a groove, and then they just decided to drop back with Jabe Colby and start throwing. I, I, I just don't get it. And again, that's the play calling right there. But it, this team is just not as good as people may have thought. That it's just as simple as. And that. Mike, you're pretty tied in, I know, with not only the Redbird staff and, and your people over there in the Coffin Building, your sources, but also the booster community and the, and the fans of ISU and. What have you heard from those people in the past 24 hours? What have you seen on social media? I'm sure you've had conversations with plenty of those people connected with the ISU football program on the fan booster, non-athletic side of it, just people that love Redbird football. What have you heard from them in the past 24 hours? Well, it's all over Twitter, and it's pretty open now at this point. It they they want the answers that we don't get. You know, where's Tristan Smith? Why is Jay Colby the quarterback? Is how do you go down to Southern Illinois and lose forty-two to nothing? And is this team really? They're doing the same thing. It's 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 you know the same the same questions we're asking. That's what they want to know. And a lot of it is is there's a lot of people saying Jake Colby is not our quarterback. And that's the that was kind of kind of the storyline, so to speak. I know that's what we talked about a lot, but that was. With all of them, that's what their questions were too. Was is this Jay Colby? Is this year two? Is year two going to be where? Okay, you know what? He's his first year as a starting quarterback didn't go as maybe people thought, but you know what? Use it as a growing experience. Use it for this year when you're sitting there in the top fifteen and you look to have a really good start, and you're going to turn around, make a deep playoff run again, see how far you could go, and then you still got one more year, Jay Colby, next year, where the sky's the limit because holy crap, he had a great junior season. And that storyline has quickly changed to there's really we're, no we're hope. We're calling for an open quarterback competition right. here. There's, and, that's, and that's where I'm getting at is we're not the only ones. It's, it's, it, it's Redbird Nation. Mike, you're going to go to the press conference on, Wednesday, on Tuesday. 
are you going to ask Brock's back? And I think this is a question a lot of fans. Are you going to ask him about is Jake Colby the quarterback of the future? I mean, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if someone asked that. Or do you, are you attending that to be a question if nobody does ask it? Yeah, I am. Uh, and I wanted to do it last week, but I didn't feel last week was appropriate because for a couple reasons, and I and I address this in my column, you can defend a bad loss at Northern Arizona. And and, and, and my, my reasoning for that is you go to a foreign – you're in foreign territory – You'd, Elevation, correct, and, and you know you run into a but. I mean, you run into a good team. That's a good team, uh, you know. And the polls, right? And, and so you run into an NFL prospect quarterback. Their defense played out of their minds. I mean, they won again yesterday. So I was like, you know what? You, you can sit there. You can defend that. You had a, you picked a bad day to have a bad day. And that's a team that won forty two twenty yesterday. Right. So it's not a t- you know it's not a team that's exactly a cakewalk. Right. They're four and two now as well. Northern yeah. Arizona. Yeah. So you know I was like, you can defend that one. Uh, and then I look, and then I go back to this week. I said, can you defend this one? And you really, if anybody's trying to defend a forty two seven loss in Southern Illinois, I you know hit me up, tweet me, text me, call me, email me, whatever, because I'd love to have this conversation with somebody on how you defend a 42-7 to loss at Southern Illinois if you're Illinois State. So I I thought about this, and last week I didn't find appropriate. This week it was because he Jay Colby had another bad performance. And it, and I think now is the time to have an open quarterback uh, competition. And, and so I'm going to ask him, and if nobody else does, I feel like it's... The thing is, is I think a lot of people are going to want to ask that question. And I'm telling you, I hope I get to be the one to do it because it's the question that's been since the beginning of the season, I mean, because we talked about, I think it was the very first podcast when we previewed Butler was question questions about Jay Colby. So I want that. I would, I'd love to see that answer come to me because it's something that I've been wanting to know. And I just don't think personally, if I'm in the Kauffman football building, I don't think you can trot Jay Colby out as your starting quarterback without saying he's our starting quarterback, but expect to see a short leash. What have you heard from your people inside the Kaufman football building? What have you heard just in terms of what you've seen from Spax quotes and just any rumblings you're hearing in the past 24 hours since that game occurred? Since the game occurred, it's been pretty quiet in the football building as far as what I've seen. I'm sure they're having internal conversations about, you know, hey, these people are going to be coming this week. This is what's, you know, now now it's like, okay, you know what? It's time to hit the panic button. I think that's what they're doing in there. I haven't heard anything, uh, I'm sure, as the week goes on, we're going to hear quite a bit. Uh, I'm going to head out head out to practice a few times this week because this is a big week, uh, and, and it's a big week for different reasons. And the one reason I'm going to go to is obviously the quarterback situation. People want to know who your quarterback is. And then the second is South Dakota's coming in, and you have an opportunity now to have back-to-back-to-back embarrassing losses. And this one could be your worst beatdown. And, and it's homecoming. Right. And so and you're going to probably sell out. I mean, we'll see if the negative performances the past two weeks affect turnout at all. I would imagine probably not. Probably not. Just cause maybe, it's maybe slightly. but And we'll see the weather as well. That 75 could, and sunny, Tom. I'm looking ahead. 75 and sunny on homecoming. So it's going to be a beautiful day. It's it's going to be a beautiful day, and I'm telling you right now, it it may not be very pretty on that field. I mean, if you're South Dakota, it, you're going to be it's going to be a real nice flight back to South Dakota. That's my early prediction. It's going to be a nice easy flight. But before we get to that game, let's talk briefly about the positives. And I know there wasn't that many. Um, one that stood out to me was Antonio Haddon Jr. We talked about the wide receiver core that needed to step up. Spencer Schnell had another solid game, but Antonio Haddon Jr. looked pretty good uh, for ISU. It looked like someone that, you know, just a, just a freshman could be a big contributor down the line. Yeah, and that was just it. Is and we talked about this on uh, on the la- on the last podcast is who might emerge as somebody to help them out. And Haddon had a great game. I mean, I was a little. Su- I don't think I was surprised to see him. Uh, <laughs> Led ISU five catches, ninety-seven yards. Spencer Schnell also had seven catches, seventy-four yards. And after that, looking at Fowler with forty yards, and then nobody else had more than a, a catch or two. So, you know, uh, I think he stood out to me as, as Spencer Schnell did what he always does. And Fowler had a, an okay game, but Antonio Haddon Jr. That's a big step up for ISU if they can get production like that out of him. Well, and he's only just a freshman. I mean, there's a lot of room to grow there, and this season for him could be a real learning experience because. I mean, you start 4-0, 
and then you drop off and you want to talk about the drop off the drop off this year could be much more drastic than last year because you know you go out you you beat up on Valparaiso then you go beat Northwestern and then you lose four straight I believe it was or and uh you know you just it's different and so for a guy like Haddon to experience this as a freshman to kind of you know what hey we're going through the gauntlet here now at the end of the stretch um, it'd be a good learning experience and so if he can continue to put up numbers like that throughout the rest of the freshman year wait till they actually find a starting quarterback for him uh, in terms of anybody else maybe did anybody on the defensive side that stood out to you as positive uh, the one thing I will say is Mitchell Breeze came back after his suspension and had a nice second half. I mean, you've seen him flying around pretty early uh, in that second half uh, in the third quarter. Um, but outside of that, it was it was underwhelming again. Um, and, and when you look at the score, forty-two-seven, there's not a lot of stop going on. Uh, there's not a lot of stops going on on the defensive side of the ball. No. I mean, I think the one takeaway I have away from the defense is is Devontae Harris, again, just got torched all afternoon. Every, And I don't know if it was maybe they're reading their keys wrong, maybe it's just a defensive mishap, or I think this is what it is, is, you know, Harris is just getting beat by receivers. And, and again, you saw it happen with Elijah Marks down at, at Northern Arizona, and then you saw it again yesterday, and... I think that's the biggest takeaway from yesterday, and I know you asked for a positive. I, I, defensively, there really was no positive. One interesting thing, I don't necessarily attribute a positive or negative to this, was I don't know if you saw the punting unit. There was a change in the back. JT Bolkin yes. received all the snaps as the punter, um, and obviously, unfortunately for the Redbirds, there was a lot of punting opportunities yesterday. It was a little surprising during game time. It came out after the game. I'm credit to Randy Reinhardt over at the Panagraph who reported that Zach Breen was out with, I believe he called it chest discomfort. Correct. Um, but it was unusual. Breen would have been listed as a starter in the um, game in the two deep that's released on Tuesday, so that was not expected. And Bolkin had a pretty solid day punting. I know that obviously this is way down in terms of the list of Redbird priorities, but 44 yards a punt, uh, two over 50 yards, and one inside the 20. That's you know not a bad day in terms of the punting unit. So. For ISU, we'll see. We talked about a quarterback competition. I'll be interested to see if Bolkin remains the starter next weekend um, or if they go back to a hometown kid in Zach Breen. Yeah, you know, I, I, there's really not much to comment there for me outside of the fact that there's going to be a lot of – this last five games, there's probably going to be a lot of punts going on. So, uh, you know, we're going to see a lot of uh, – you know, hopefully they're up for it because there's I don't think this offense is going to be doing very well the, the last couple of games because there's a lot of good defenses coming in and they're going to see a lot of good defense. So, you know, it, that's the one bright side is, you know what, their, their legs will be fresh. And that ends our positive section of the podcast. I was trying to get a positive <laughs> section, but it's tough to be very – positive after a 42-7 victory now now this is going on a little bit longer than our usual podcast mike we'll head towards a conclusion and we'll i'm sure we'll talk more about south dakota state probably in our, our midweek podcast Correct. but just give us a, a give us a little bit of a preview what you're thinking we don't have to make a prediction yet we're, we'll do that in our midweek podcast but just talk a little bit about now beyond even just the south dakota game what we're looking at for this redbird team going forward and for this week, what are we tracking in terms of SPAC's press conference on, on, on Tuesday? And just what are we thinking we're going to hear from this club after that loss? Well, it, it's funny because I wonder what opening statement SPAC will give at the Tuesday press conference. Because last week he came in all smiles uh, and said, you know what? Let's, you know, we, we stunk last week. We didn't play very well. We got a new game this week. Any questions? That was that was it. And I don't know if that, that'll do this week. He might try and do that again, but I think he's going to get bombarded with questions. As far as what SPAC's going to say on Tuesday... Uh, and it'll be interesting. I give a lot of credit to Mike Williams and the SID staff over there that they usually take every single question. They'll usually wait, even with someone like head coach Brock Spack, and obviously for the... for. The, some of the smaller sports, they'll take questions up until as much time as you want. But even for SPAC, usually they'll take just about until they see everyone's does not have their hand Correct. up anymore. Yeah. I'll be interested to see if there's ever an opportunity for them to maybe try to shelter Brock's back. It could be this upcoming Tuesday. I'll be interested to see if question times may be limited a little bit or if we see SPAC sit up there and answer all the, answer all the questions fully. I, I wouldn't be shocked if we try to see them maybe not want to talk about it, obviously, give maybe some no comments or just, you know, we have confidence in Jake Colby or we have confidence in this team and give us a lot of non-answers. It'll be interesting to see what sort of 
honesty and what type of SPAC interview we usually get because he's usually pretty good. SPAC, I give a lot of credit to first Mike Williams, the SID, who does a good job making sure he has time for the media and also SPAC himself, very good interview, but it feels like if there was ever a week that he might close down, it could be this week. Yeah, and, and, and I think you're exactly right as far as, I mean, you hit everything right there. Uh, so I don't think I need to talk about SPAC, what, what can we expect out of SPAC anymore. Looking forward to this game, ah, it's just so. I mean, it, it's a it's a rare situation, man. I, when you sit here, you start four zero, and this is where the Kaufman Building and our building over here are a little bit different because, you know, we sat there at four zero and we thought, you know what, these doesn't seem right. They're too highly ranked. I mean, both of us when they broke the top ten, we both kind of. I remember we looked at each other and we're kind of like. Hey, are they really top 10? Is that why are they in the top 10? I don't think that was worth it. And that was after the Indiana State win. Uh, so, you know, it's been a little different. Whereas they're sitting at 4 0 and thinking, okay, we're a national championship contender. You know, we can compete for the Missouri Valley Conference title, uh, you know, make the playoffs, make a championship run. This is going to be a true testament to see if is how they respond is really what it's going to be come down to on Saturday. Because. If you're going to save this season, you start with a tall task in South Dakota. And you're going to have to play damn near perfect to, to be able to, I be able want, to beat South Dakota. One thing Dakota. I want to look at is the, is, the, is the game plan for the offensive unit. Does it involve more Malachi Brodnicks? I, again, I don't think he's the maybe not even the quarterback of the future, but I think right now he can provide some sort of element to this offense. A dual threat. He's a dual threat. I think that's the one thing that Jake doesn't offer. And Jake, Jake's mobile, but Jake, Jake Colby is certainly not. You don't deem him a dual threat. No, I mean when they do a lot of those read options or even the the. And he's very good at it. I'll even, give him even, that. Even the faux read options where he's obviously going to hand the ball off, but he'll pretend to run a couple yards. He has that ability once in a while to surprise you in those read options. I think the difference is. Brodnick brings in a true running element. We've seen them run the triple option. We've seen them do some really interesting stuff. And if I, I, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at this game, I'm saying this is a game we have to win to save our season. I'm pulling out. I'm probably pulling Tristan Smith off my red shirt and going, if if things don't go well in the first quarter, get ready to play. First quarter, I'm using both Colby probably in the first drive and then Brodnick's on the second drive. Or if you want to interchange Brodnick's in Colby drives and then give Smith his own drives, I don't. I don't know exactly how they need to do it. I would be saying I want Brodnicks to get like probably what 10, 15 snaps this game and try to give him some opportunities. And, and I'm saying 10 to 15 competitive snaps. We're not talking if this game's out of reach at the end and he gets two drives at the end of the game when it's it's well out of reach. We're talking competitive snaps. And I want to. I'd like to see Tristan Smith in this game. I don't know if every Redbird fan feels the same way. I think that's a genuine debate you can have. But I need to see something in this offense. And I think as much as we don't like to call for people's jobs. The coaching staff, not Brock's back, but I think his offensive coordinators are coaching for their jobs, and I think Jake Colby is playing for his job this Saturday, period. Uh, yeah, that's that's easily put. And you know what? When you, This is the truest test to see who Jake Colby is. If we haven't seen it already... If, because after this, let's be honest, if they lose this weekend and they get humiliated, let's say it's a 56-10 to 10 loss. Which is possible, I'm telling you. Well, we didn't see, we didn't foresee 42-7 to... And that's what I'm saying. So it's certainly possible. But if that happens, Brock's back does not strike me as the type of coach that fires people in season uh, on his coaching staff. That's something that strikes a mid-season firing, though. Don't but, you? I mean, that's... I, don't, I, I, I could see Brock's back playing out the string with the offensive coordinators and Jake Colby, maybe letting both of them play out the year. But I think both, I think everyone would agree if a loss goes this way and the rest of the season continues in the trend that we're projecting, right? Well, if they lose, Colby it, and the offensive coordinators will likely not be back in their respective roles for next season. And the thing is, is if they, this is a really a big and maybe their final opportunity to save all their jobs. This is it, and that's just it. This Saturday is you're fighting for your job. And if you lose this game on Saturday, you could pretty much count the rest of the season gone. If you lose on Saturday, I think the season and it's it's funny because you're talking about a four and two team right now, and that, and that's the one thing that I think maybe some people might criticize the the kind of hitting the panic button early. But it's four because it's a four and two team. So if you scrape out two more wins, you scrape out two more wins, you're six and five, you're in the playoff conversation. But the thing is, is I, dep- I, I mean, who are their six wins against though? If they're, if they're, well, look at the who. I mean, really, is there? If you, if you, if you win two games of these last of this last this last stretch, no matter who you I beat, guess. But let's say you beat Youngstown and Western. Just give me these two, and then let's say 
Youngstown falters down the stretch. I know they've played very well, but let's say they finish 8-3, and three, or they finish in the top 25, but nothing incredible, and Western finishes 7-4, and four, just hypothetically. Right. And those are the two best win the Redbirds have. They're 6-5. and five. Are those two wins enough? I, I think at this point, you're talking about if you want to get in the tournament, assuming, again, we could be we could be sitting here in three weeks and say, man, was that our podcast where we were pitching the panic button wrong? I don't think we'll be saying that, but there's a possibility. But if the season continues the way that it does, I think you're talking about South Dakota State and North Dakota State. Those are the only wins that might get them in the tournament at this point. And, and obviously, those would be monumental upsets. Yeah, and you know what? Because like you said, it's the hour long podcast. So this this will be my closing remark for this podcast. Um, South Dakota on Saturday is a must-win for lots of reasons, but it's a must-win, like you said, for some people's jobs, and it's a must-win because if you lose this game, I think you close the book on 2017, and that's where I'll leave it. I don't even think it's a must-win. I think it's a must-play well, must-show signs of life. There's the idea that you know certain people have they do not resuscitate put on their door <laughs> their doorstep. ISU right now, they're thinking about hanging the sign that says do not resuscitate the 2017 season. I need to see some signs of life. I need to see them take a defibrillator, wake up this season, and and even if they lose, even if they lose 42-24, but we say it was 24-17 at halftime, and we say, all right, they played competitively in the first half, things got away from the third quarter, but you know what? This team showed us something. We could be having a different conversation next week, but if they come out and it's 42-7 at halftime or if it's a final of 54-10 to or whatever, in that stretch, in that vein, I think we're talking about a season that is over in a season that, you know, I, I just, it would be hard to imagine the Redbirds responding after three straight humiliating losses. Uh, so this week, I don't even, I you know, I called last week in a must win, this game against Southern, and they didn't. I, I think we're beyond must win at this point. I think we're just at a point where, show me something. Just, just show me something competitive. Show me something that can get, you can get the fans excited. Show us something in homecoming that you want to play on this home field. Then you want to look like you want to play. So they have not looked like they wanted to play. They did not look like the team that wanted it the most the last couple weeks. And I'll say this. Put on a show for your homecoming fans. You know, I know we talk a lot about the fans. And I don't think in the, in the Kauffman football building, they care about the fans. But they care more about the team. Correct. We care about the fans here. And for the we want to see the Redbirds come out. And they have not lost at home this season. You give them that. They're undefeated at home. And that's the one thing they can say in that the locker room this week. They can say, we have not lost at home. We've always defended home turf here. Let's do it again. Let's rally the troops. Let's shock the nation. And if they win next week, if they somehow beat South Dakota, we're talking about a 5-2 and two team that is likely back in the, in the national polls, or if you think they stay in the polls, then we're moving up in the polls. Right. And, and they have an opportunity to save their season. We need to see signs of life from this Redbird team. Because right now, the 2017 season is dead. That will do it for this edition of the Redbird Report. That was the panic edition. We'll see what next week brings. We'll have another edition coming up in the midweek. Uh, I'm sure we'll have Nate Head on as well to get his thoughts on the 2017 season. But for this edition, for the panic edition, I'm Tom Preisman for Vedette Sports Editor Mike Mara saying thank you so much for listening. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you Wednesday.